It's now time for Just the Terror with Nick Guerra. A buzzing in her ear. This happened back in grade school. I'm not sure I remember this story so much as I remember remembering it, if you know what I mean. It happened a long, long time ago. As I recall, it was a warm summer day. The sun was shining brightly outside. We got to go outside twice for recess. It was an high school of about 300 kids from kindergarten to fifth grade. I was in third or fourth grade at the time, I don't remember which. What I do remember is that my teacher was a very large woman. She handed out timeouts very liberally. If you got caught making paper airplanes or playing with pogs, pogs were banned at my school, you got put in timeout. I guess it was just a primer to get kids ready for loads of actual detention in middle school. We had just come back inside from recess. The desks were lined up in a 5x5 five five sort of square pattern. I was all the way in the back left corner of the room, near the windows that tilted open towards the inside. One thing I absolutely hated about my school was the bees. We called them bees, but there were actually two kinds. There were the big fat bumblebees that were slow and pretty benign. They didn't sting people very often. They were easy to knock out of the air and stomp on. The second type of bee was actually some sort of hornet or wasp. It looked like a yellow jacket, but the coloring was a little different. When you saw one of those flying around, you either screamed or screamed while flailing your arms at it. Of course, even horseflies look like bees to little kids, so it was a safe bet to just try and kill anything flying in the air. So I'm sitting next to those windows and a big bug flies in. I didn't see what it was, it was hovering left and right really fast. Being the proactive little kid I was, I interrupted the teacher and started screaming, B, B. All the other little kids turned to look at it, but the teacher just told us all to ignore it and keep listening. So gradually attention starts to turn away from it as it goes crazy and hits the window, flies back and forth, etc. Then it did something I have never since seen replicated. There was a little girl sitting in the front row, shorter than average with blonde hair. The bee, which turned out to be a wasp, hornet, or whatever, suddenly flew straight into her ear. Well, more like it landed on the top of her ear and then quickly ran into her ear hole. She smacked at her ear and let out a yelp noise, which quickly turned into full-blown screaming. The teacher didn't see what had happened, so I started shouting again. The bee went into her ear, but no one could hear me over the girl absolutely freaking out. Then she did the worst possible thing. She stuck her finger in her ear. Her screaming, which is already as loud as anything I'd ever heard, ramped up another couple of notches. She was on the floor now, and the teacher was over her telling the other kids to get back. She must have partially crushed the wasp when she stuck her finger in because it had started making these very loud bzz, bzz, bzz noises and little bursts. It was like one of its wings was broken or something. Regardless, it sounded very angry. The teacher was trying to calm the girl down, but it was just not happening. I will never forget the look of utter horror on that girl's face, and I can't even begin to imagine what it felt like having a bug deep in your ear making that buzzing sound. Who knows how many times it stung her. Eventually, someone drove her to the emergency room and I guess they got it out. It had indeed stung her quite a few times on the inside of her ear. The whole left side of her head was still swelled up when she came back to school a couple of days later. Anyway, for about 15 minutes, I got to bear witness to the end game of a little girl's sanity. I'm not sure which kept me awake at night more, the thought of a wasp flying in my ear or the sound of her screaming.
off the trails of north central Alabama. I was walking on my family land with two of my friends, who are a married couple. It's about 170 acres, heavily wooded with both pines and hardwoods, and heavily trailed. It was dark, but my friends wanted me to take them out walking on the trails. A couple of neighbor dogs followed us, a coonhound and a great Pyrenees. We walked south and east to my camping area. We were hanging out at my camping spot when behind us, further back the trail we had come down, the dogs started acting strange. We were looking back and they came out of the woods to our left and stood on the trail. The great Pyrenees started growling really low and looking defensive. The coonhound is a goofball, but he was also acting disturbed about something. They were both looking back down the trail to the west. I immediately got quite a strange and serious feeling. It was a bit ominous. I've learned to trust my gut, which I recommend to anybody in the woods, or if a, around a person or animal that you feel instinctively is threatening. Anyway, I said to my friends, we better get back to the house. To get my point across, I sort of grimly added, now. We were heading west on the trail, and the dogs, if I remember correctly, had vacated the area. While walking, I looked back and saw my one friend, the wife, looking into the woods off the trail and stagger back a few steps. Her husband had walked ahead and I asked her what was wrong. By the way, this is the area where the dogs had previously been growling at. She said to me, I'll tell you when we get back, I, I don't want to scare him, her husband. He's kind of easily spooked. <laughs> so we get back and I asked what she saw. She tells us that she felt she needed to look off the trail into the trees she saw something halfway behind a tree looking at her. We all had headlamps on. She said it was human-like, pale, whitish, with an oval kind of shaped head. Looked like it was crouching with long limbs. She kept stressing how skinny it was, particularly the limbs. She said it had a surprised look on its face, like it didn't expect us to be there. Myself and friends, relatives, use the trails regularly, but not at night. She said that the thing was bobbing back and forth in a kind of creepy way. It moved its head behind the tree and then swung its head and shoulders back rhythmically to look at her. She said it didn't appear to be aggressive at the moment, but looked scary. I pulled up the famous trail camp pick of the rake or whatever it is. She got a shocked look on her face and nodded, yes. However, she made clear that it wasn't exactly the same. The next night I was on the back porch and heard a freaky, very shrill scream come from the woods. I don't know if the two were related, but I've lived in the country for most of my life and I've never heard anything like it. This is one of those multiple things that have happened around here, but this is the only one that I know of involving this creature. This is in North Central Alabama, by the way. Feasting of Memories. I'm a casual, less than part-time mental health assistant on a mental health ward. Basically, that means I spend my hours, 12-hour night shifts, making rounds, checking on patients, and doing all the menial tasks that nurses and doctors are paid too much to do. Tonight, I got placed on a one-on-one -on -one with an elderly man that has Alzheimer's. Really, really bad Alzheimer's. A one-on-one -on -one basically means I have to sit with him, follow him around, and stare at him when he's sleeping to make sure he doesn't find some new and creative way to kill himself. I get told by the nurse, my boss, that I need to sit with this guy in his room until he falls asleep. The guy has been walking around the unit all day mumbling incoherently and wandering into other people's rooms. Basically, he's a hazard because he will keep going into places where he's not supposed to. 
He's been redirected into his room all day long, but every time he wanders back out. We finally got him to go into his room, and again, this is where my one-on-one -on -one starts. It's 12 at night, so I get him in his room, put my chair with the back to the door, and turn off all of his lights except for the tiny night light. I decided to pull out my phone and just start browsing Reddit. The guy is just going to wander around in his room, what else do I have to do? He starts roaming around his room and his bathroom in the dark, mumbling to himself some more. This guy never ever in the week that he has been here has been able to make a coherent sentence. He's a white guy, but we're not entirely sure he speaks English, since he was just picked off the street downtown, fracting all demented and not wearing any clothes. I'm sitting there in the dark, reading off of my phone, when he comes up and stands right in front of me. His breath smells like curdled dog poo, and he's huffing and puffing straight at me. I assumed he would just give up on trying to get out of the door because I was in the way, but he just kept standing there, his shadowy outline against the dim street lights outside his window. Until this point, I had not thought of the guy as creepy or anything, he was always smiling. So you can imagine how it was more than a little disturbing for me when I turned on the light to see his face and he was looking at me like he was going to murder me. His eyes were bulging out of his head, his lips were peeled all the way back to show off his few remaining teeth and his hands were in tight fists. Holy hell, I thought to myself as I reflexively backed my chair into the door. He just stood there, staring at me, but he wasn't moving. Then he started talking in a high-pitched strained voice. I couldn't tell if they were words or not, so I put my ears closer to him, and he was definitely letting out a high-pitched squealing, please help me, help me, you've got to help me. He started holding his crotch with both of his hands, so I assumed he meant that he had to use the bathroom. I walked him over to the toilet, and he was still grimacing. I tried to help him pull his pants down, but he wouldn't let me. He was just grabbing his crotch extremely tight. I asked, do you need to go pee? He started making that high-pitched squealing noise again that definitely sounded like, please help me. Then he turned and looked me straight in the eyes and very clearly said, they're eating my memories, as his teeth were still gritted. This creeped me out. I couldn't believe he just said that. Why is someone who has super advanced stage Alzheimer's going to turn straight to somebody else and say their memories are being eaten? I was gonna go tell the nurse the crazy thing that this guy just said, but then he started moaning really loud. His hands that were grabbing his crotch moved up to his abdomen, then quickly started grabbing his chest. I thought, oh, now it's a heart attack. Nope, he kept grabbing up to his throat, then his head. I ran to get the nurse at this point, because he was definitely acting like something was going wrong. When we got back to the room, he was still standing in the bathroom, not moving. I told the nurse that he had been grabbing his chest in pain, so she lifted up his shirt. This gave me the biggest goosebumps I have ever felt. There was an inch wide bruise shaped like a snaking line running all the way from just above his collarbone down to his pants line. It's really creeped me out. There's a couple of more nurses trying to figure out what gave him the bruise. The nurses only looked at him for maybe five minutes and decided it was a burst blood vessel. I thought to my all the way from his crotch? They said they'll tell the doctor about it in a report tomorrow but they act like I'm joking when I told them what he said to me. They think I'm just messing with them. But I'm not going near that guy anymore. To remind me who I was. Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, 1967. I was in the second grade. I don't know if it was the spring or the fall, but it was during recess and the weather was warm enough to play outside. My classmate and I walked to the side of the school, Peebles Elementary, North Algany School District, during recess. 
All the other children were in the main play area at the back of the school. Our school janitor, Mr. Swan, appeared and waved us toward the basement area of the school. There was an entryway into the furnace room of the school. Mr. Swan told us to come over and see what was in the furnace room. Inside, there was a small Jetson-like disc. It would have been about the size of a Volkswagen Beetle. It had seating for two. I don't have a clear memory of the vehicle, except that it was a silver-gray metallic color, very smooth. The roof of the craft was either clear or missing entirely. There was a panel of controls and something like blue vinyl seats. My friend said, Mr. Swan caught the flying saucer in the baseball field of the school. Then she slid down against the wall and fell asleep. And then a small gray man appeared from behind the furnace. I started laughing because my friend fell asleep and then being amazed at the little man, he was about the same size as me. I was not afraid of him at all. He talked to me in my head and through feelings and thoughts. He never moved his mouth. He had skin the color and shading like ashes from a cigarette. I don't recall any clothing or any sexual characteristics about him. He had large black eyes, but they were kind and sincere. He had no nose, maybe just a couple of small holes, and his mouth was just sort of a line and did not open. I don't remember any ears. He had long arms for the size of his body, and I think only four fingers on each hand, which seemed very long. He kept his arms to his sides. He had two legs, and his feet seemed different somehow from ours. I simply can't remember exactly what they were like. His body was childlike, not muscular at all. He said to me in my head, We are here to remind you who you are. I still to this day have no idea what he meant. I'm now 49. Somehow, I was able to know how the flying saucer worked. It had something to do with the force of energy which pushed out of the bottom of the craft along with a corresponding force which sucked it in. It made me think of what a hovercraft is like, only with much more force and no sound. This was what was broken on the craft, and the janitor had taken it inside to hide it while the entity was repairing it. There was another little man somewhere in the room who was injured from the crash. I have no recollection of him except for the sensing that he was there and that he was hurt. My mother recalls me coming home from school and talking about Mr. Swan and the flying saucer. My mom was concerned about me being escorted into the basement of the school by the janitor, but after asking me several questions, she was satisfied that nothing inappropriate had occurred. But I never mentioned the little man. Something tells me I wasn't supposed to remember the man until later in life because I did not remember the man until I was 29. My school friend only remembers the craft and described it as having no bolts or rivets. She grew up with a dad who flew a small plane and would know those terms to describe a plane. She had no recollection of a little man, but then again, she had fallen asleep when he appeared. I've told this story to friends and family only for fear of being ridiculed. My children are in this school. It's been remodeled. I've never asked anyone at the school about the craft or dear Mr. Swan. It's got to be in his 80s now. I sure wish I knew what the little man was referring to when he said that they were here to remind me who I was. When Thursday comes around. My wife and I both got an extremely good deal on a home last year. Our real estate agent was nice enough to be upfront about the history of the home and told us that the previous family had died from a gas leak or something fishy. There were detectors installed in the home now though, so it was safe. It's a weird feeling sleeping in a room where you know someone else died. Anyway, things just started happening that I couldn't explain. The first night after moving in, 
It was raining heavily. I slept good that night. However, the next night, without that white noise, I started to hear strange noises. I could swear there were footsteps downstairs in the kitchen, but I would only hear them from upstairs. Similarly, doors would slam shut upstairs while I was downstairs, but never when I was near them. I kept finding the front door ever so slightly ajar. It was still locked, but I would wake up to find it slightly open when I was absolutely sure I had closed it all the way. A quirky house for sure, but I had no inkling of anything supernatural going on. Then came around the first Thursday night. I had a weird feeling in my gut all day Thursday, like the kind of uptight feeling you get before leaving on a trip. It got much worse when I got home from work. It was late in the evening. I was sitting at the table in the living room checking my email when I heard a small hissing noise coming from down the hall. I got up to go check out what it was, when it was very clearly changed from coming down the hall to coming from upstairs. After I walked up to the top of the stairs, a wave of paranoia hit me. As I looked down the hallway to our bedroom, the walls seemed to be moving. It was like one of those magic eye things where what you're looking at stays still but everything in your peripheral vision starts crawling around. I stood there for a little while trying to just get a bearing in reality and I had a feeling like I needed to go downstairs immediately. I don't know why. So I started going back downstairs and after the first step the hissing noise stopped and that weird feeling vanished. I turned back around to look down the hallway, everything was normal. Things got even scarier after that. When my wife and I were getting ready for bed, the power went out. I looked out the window and the neighborhood lights were still on so I knew it had to be a fuse. I got a flashlight and went down to the basement. As I reached for the handle, my hand stopped. I heard that slight hissing noise again coming from the other side of the door. It sounded like a propane tank was leaking. It was that vivid. I got down on my stomach and put my ear to the crack under the door and tried to listen to it a little closer. Suddenly, I heard a very sharp whisper say, get out. It sounded like someone had their mouth two inches from my ear on the other side of the door under the crack. I felt my body go rigid. This scared me so badly, I had to get my wife to come with me to go down to the basement. I didn't tell her why, but I just needed someone else there. She joked about me being scared to go to the basement, but she had no idea. We came back to the door, and I let her go down first ahead of me. I had a flashlight, and she had an oil lamp. The oil lamp was a much better source of light. It let us see everything in the room at once, so I didn't have to worry about something sneaking around down there. I started to move some big boxes to get to the fuse box when the hissing noise started again. This time it was coming from the ceiling directly above us. I asked my wife if she could hear it, and to my great relief she said yes. We both looked up at the ceiling, and the hissing noise moved from directly above us to towards the door at the top of the stairs. The door slammed, and at the same time the oil lamp went out. I took my flashlight out of my pocket and turned it towards my wife. Only, it wasn't my wife. What I saw standing there was a naked dead body. It had cuts all over its pale white skin and gaping wounds revealing red muscle tissue. The eyes were sunken but looking straight at me and its brown matted hair dripped water. This made me drop my flashlight and scream. My wife suddenly screamed too and picked up my flashlight. She pointed it at me and asked what the hell I was doing screaming like that. The corpse was gone. I replaced the fuse and we went upstairs. I didn't sleep. She agreed the hissing noise and the door slamming was really weird, but there had to be some logical explanation for it. Maybe it was the wind that blew the door shut. I knew better. Days passed without anything else weird happening. Friday, Saturday, Sunday, everything went back to normal for a while. 
Then Thursday came around again. I started to get that feeling again starting early in the evening on Thursday. I had this feeling that Thursdays played some sort of significance with what was going on, so I asked a neighbor about it earlier in the week. Did something bad happen to the previous family on Thursday? After a little small talk, I asked if they knew what happened to the family that used to live here. Apparently, like I was told before, they'd all died at night. No one knew why. It must have been a gas leak though because they were all asphyxiated. That is, all except for the mother. They never found her. What day did this all happen on? Thursday, of course. I was pretty sure the house is being haunted now, but at the same time, I realized how stupid it was, right? I mean, there's never been any haunting that was proven to be real. If there was, it would have been famous and on the news. It was just my imagination feeding my paranoia. But still, it was Thursday night again, and I had this sickening feeling in my gut. Before the sun went down, I grabbed my wife and made her stay the night with me in a hotel. I didn't care about rationale. Forget staying in that house that night. On the way back to our house in the morning, a bunch of fire trucks passed us on the highway. I had a sinking feeling in my stomach, and I should have known it. The fire trucks were heading to my house. There was thick black smoke billowing out of all the windows in the front door, but it looked like there was no fire. The furnace had backfired or something and had started putting out a bunch of black smoke. Thank God there hadn't been a fire, all my stuff was still in there. However, the police showed up and needed to have a few words with me. Apparently, one of the firemen found the skeleton of a woman crouched in the fetal position behind the furnace in the basement. I didn't hear the hissing noise after that, but we still sold the house. Long Before Humans the Roswell incident has always been a core of all aliens and UFO mysteries we have seen in the last several decades. Officially, it was never claimed that the alien craft crashed in New Mexico in 1947, but many people at that time stated to have seen alien craft that day. There are dozens of stories that tell us that aliens were rescued after the crash, possibly survived. It's evident that the government will always deny it. However, some individuals and officials believe the aliens rescue story and said the UFO crash was real. According to excerpts from the notes and documents of Matilda O'Donnell McElroy, Senior Master Sergeant Woman's Army Air Force Medical Corps, she interviewed an alien named Errol, who told her where they had come from and why they came to Earth. Matilda was only 23 years old when she interviewed the alien through telepathy. She was the only person at the base who had the ability to talk with beings through the mind. In her interview with Errol, she found out that the alien was not a biological being, had a female-like appearance, and also had not been injured during the crash. She noted that the alien was the size of a small child and was the only survivor among the three crew members of the ship that had crashed in New Mexico. Her body was made of synthetic material which means she was an alien robot controlled by the higher order being. According to the book Alien Interview 2008, which is based on the notes and documented interviews by Matilda, the UFO was made of the same material as the alien body. It was controlled by the mind and thoughts. Matilda noted that Errol did not give her any information related to her language or the location of her planet. She was uncertain about the intentions of military officers, and that made her refuse to disclose any secret information to humans. The nurse called it a serious sign, because if aliens did not find themselves safe on Earth, 
then it could become a big problem for humans. Arrow called her civilization very powerful, extremely ancient, and above all, their only goal was to progress. In the letter, McElroy wrote, Mankind needs to know the answers to questions which are contained in these documents. Who are we? Where did we come from? What is our purpose on Earth? If there is intelligent life elsewhere in the universe, why have they not contacted us? It is vital that people understand the devastating consequence to our physical and spiritual survival if we fail to take effective action to undo the long-standing and pervasive effects of alien intervention on Earth. When Matilda asked Arrow how long she had been visiting Earth, her answer was, long before humans. In her footnotes, Matilda wrote, Earth is a small planet on a rim star of a galaxy. This makes Earth very isolated geographically from the more concentrated planetary civilizations which exist towards the center of the galaxy. These obvious facts have made Earth suitable for use only as a zoological or botanical garden, or for its current use as a prison, but not much else. Before 30,000 BC, Earth started being used as a dumping ground and prison for ISBs who were judged untouchable, meaning criminal or nonconformists. ISBs were captured, encapsulated in electronic traps, and transported to Earth from various parts of the old empire. Underground amnesia stations were set up on Mars and on Earth in the Renzori Mountains in Africa, in the Pyrenees Mountains of Portugal, and in steppes of Mongolia. I beg to differ. When I was 14, I had a horrible trampoline accident. It was just before my friend and I were going to see the release of Star Wars Episode 1. I tried doing a flip and ended up landing face first on the metal rim of the trampoline. I don't remember the teeth impacting it, my neck snapping like a whip, or the insane amount of blood rushing from my mouth, but I saw the spot on the trampoline afterwards. There were literally two little piles of impacted calcium deposited on the metal small remnant of what used to be my two big beautiful front teeth. My friend saw it all happen, as he was also on the trampoline. He thought I was dead. All I know is I got up after the flip, knowing that I had just hit my head really hard and that was it. Then, to my extreme horror, I felt with my tongue where my front teeth should be. After having braces on for the last two years, believe me when I say that my teeth were extremely important to me. All the dentist appointments, all the horrible inconveniences of cavities behind the metal stirrups, not being able to chew gum, and then this accident happens not a month after getting my braces off? All I could feel with my tongue was jagged shards and chunks of gum dangling from the roof of my mouth. I had emergency dental work done that evening by my family dentist, who earned her spot in my book as one of the nicest people I'd ever met. However, the real horror came a few months later. I had to have a titanium post implanted into one of those holes where my teeth should be. As I lay in the chair ready for surgery, I was reminded by my orthodontist that there was a very small chance something could go wrong, and he wanted to make sure I was okay with that. As he injected the anesthetic into the IV, I asked about the tiny air bubble traveling in my arm. Oh, that little guy? Don't worry about that little guy, were the last words he said before my eyelids closed and I stopped being able to see. The orthodontist announced to his assistant, he's out. Except, I was not out. 
My eyelids were half closed, but I could still see. More importantly, I could still feel, but not move. I was paralyzed. For the next two hours, I felt every slice on my gums, the crunching sound, the nail clippers like surgical tools made, the taste of blood rushing into my mouth, as well as all the little chunks of gum that were being sliced off. I felt the screw as it drilled deep into my bone and went into my sinus cavity where it has since remained. I could feel my heartbeat practically exploding as I had a two hour long panic attack. But how could they know? I couldn't grimace, I couldn't move my muscles. I couldn't even move my eyes except for to look down through the slits in my eyelids and watch all the bloody tools moving towards and away from my mouth. If there's a hell, I can't imagine it being much worse than that. When I finally woke up, I was crying. I told my orthodontist I was awake the whole time. He just laughed and said I imagined it. I couldn't have possibly been awake or I would have moved when he was cutting in my mouth. I beg to differ. We searched and we found. I've always believed in the paranormal, but many years ago I made it a goal of mine to actively seek it out and experience it for myself firsthand. One summer my friends and I spent a lot of time traveling to various spots known to be very haunted across the St. Louis, Missouri region. One night we took the Ouija board to Main Street in St. Charles, Missouri, a city founded in 1769. It was the first state capital of Missouri and is situated on the Missouri River. We used the Ouija board there for several hours. Some strange things happened, such as very old perfume smells, some movements, responses on the Ouija board with a planchette, gusts of wind, but nothing really paranormal, until we were getting ready to leave. Prior to leaving, we were talking and standing by our cars. Directly across the street from me, I saw a tall woman in a white 1800-era dress frantically running across the street. She was transparent, bright white, and quickly vanished. If I blinked my eyes, I would have missed her. That's how fast she ran and vanished. I looked at my friend and said, did you just see? He basically finished. The lady in the white dress ran across the street. He validated what I saw without even having to say it. There's several stories of the lady in white in St. Charles that can be found online. According to the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, the Lady in White reportedly haunts the 400 block of South Main Street in St. Charles, sulking behind the buildings where no one ventures after dusk. The 400 block of South Main Street is the exact location where we saw her, literally on the dot. We all left Main Street, it was like 3 a.m., and drove over to the St. Charles Borromeo Catholic Cemetery. My friend parked his car, I rode with him, and as a group with other friends who separately drove their own cars, we all walked into the cemetery to try to experience more and hopefully catch some evidence. Eventually a cop car pulled up, then the cop walked up and asked us what we were doing. We told him we were ghost hunting. He was super cool about it and said, I have something to show you, come with me. He took us over to Jean Baptiste Pointe du Subal's grave. He explained who he was, the founder of Chicago along with some of the stories and how the area is known to be super haunted. Louis Blanchet, the founder of the city of St. Charles, is buried there too. We spent a few more minutes there, then afterwards we went back to the car my friend parked. His mileage was at 666. This experience led me and that same friend spending a lot of time at his house conducting EVPs, basically using multiple voice recorders to capture audio, taking pictures and recording video, using an MEL meter, EMF meters, 
PSB7 Spirit Box, REM Pod, along with consistently using the Ouija board and conducting seances, asking for things to happen, to show themselves to us, etc. We were very dedicated and serious about it. There's too many things we experienced at his house to list, but here's some of the experiences. This is a list of three separate EVP sessions we had that took place in the same room of his house. First session. We're sitting in his room during EVP session, recording the audio, asking for the entity to make a noise, show itself to us, etc. All of a sudden, his tall lamp falls over in the corner. We're sitting away from it. No one touched it. My friend ran out of the room. I jumped over the bed and clipped my leg on it and had to get a bandage. We went back and listened to the audio. A voice appeared on the recording. Visually looking at the audio, we could see a blip. It was at a much lower frequency volume than our voices. We could hear the response, but decided to increase the volume of the audio. The voice said, wait, wait, just before the lamp fell over. From what I gather, it was telling us it was about to do something prior to doing it, sort of like a countdown. For example, wait, wait, okay now. Second session. As we listened back to this recording session, there was a voice that specifically said my friend's name, then my name. We quickly went downstairs and told his older brother. I exported the audio and emailed it to his brother. His brother opened it, played the audio file for us out loud on his TV from a different room. The recording said my friend's name, then my name like it originally did when we played it back. The brother played the audio over again, but this time it also included the brother's name in the recording. His brother's eyes immediately teared up. He was visibly shaken and told us to get out of his room. I'm not sure how this is even possible, but it was a scary moment that an audio file already exported from one device and shared to a different device could be altered in real time as we all listened to it together. Third session, we received an intelligent response to a direct question we asked. We asked how old the entity was and he specifically responded us his age, 18. Again, looking at the audio, there was a small blip where the entity responded and it was on a much lower frequency volume than our voices. Items, objects moving and disappearing was a somewhat common occurrence in his home and even in my home. A couple of examples here. In my friend's house, while we were watching something on TV, there was a coin that fell off of his dresser in his room. It caught our attention, so we went looking for it. When we found it a few minutes later, it was in a closed dresser drawer. At my house, my friend was not with me. While I was sitting in a room near the kitchen, I heard a dish break out of nowhere. I went in the kitchen and noticed that the dish, for it to have broken, it would have needed to be lifted up from the dish rack, since there are sides and walls around the edge of it, moved over like two feet and then dropped directly into the sink. There was nothing in the sink before it happened. Dishes were already clean. If it simply fell into the sink, which it couldn't have, it would have landed in the left side of the sink, but instead, it was in the right side. Something responded back to me in my home, in my family member's voice, even though they weren't even home. In the last year or so, I yelled out to a family member asking them a question. They responded back and asked another question. I quickly realized it wasn't them because they didn't respond to the second question. They weren't home, but they responded with my family member's voice to the point that I thought it was them. It was loud and clear as could be, honestly thought they were home. We continued to actively seek paranormal experiences and asking for entities to show themselves. Even though we already 100% believed in it and had these prior experiences, we wanted more and more, which leads to the most profound experience I've had. It was approaching midnight on a snowy and icy winter night in December. My friend and I were driving back to my place. 
As we came up on a crossroads, a road intersection, less than a quarter mile ahead of us, we noticed a man in dark, dirty clothes carrying a dirty bag over his shoulder, resembling a very old man, and he had a limp. As he walked, it was kind of glitchy looking and did not look normal. He was walking along the side of the road towards the crossroads with his back to us as we approached him. Immediately, my friend and I thought it was unordinary. We looked at each other and said, what was that? As we've always traveled this road many times and never saw someone walking on it, especially during winter at midnight. Our first thought is, it could be a homeless man. I seriously considered rolling down the window and asking him if he was okay, but that thought quickly changed as we approached him. As we were passing alongside him, I looked over my shoulder directly looking at his face. Nothingness. It was pitch black. Then I looked at his hands. They were also pitch black too, and not like he was wearing a ski mask and gloves. Additionally, he was not transparent like most apparitions are. He actually completely resembled a human in appearance and apparel, except for the face and hands. My friend and I quickly drove to the other side of the crossroad and immediately whipped the car around to get another view of him. He was gone. Then, hundreds of feet back where we just came from, we saw an entity cross the road and then vanish under a light post. So we drove down the road and back multiple times. No one to be found. When we decided to finally go back home, we had to turn around in a court. A big black dog was on the side of the road and stared at us as we drove by. Then a few minutes later, a rabbit runs out right in front of us, causing us to frantically slam on the brakes. This experience occurred at a crossroads near a Catholic church. A few days later, we decided to visit the church and see if they had any familiarity with such stories or sightings. No one answered the door, although several cars were there. Then we visited a second Catholic church in the area, and as we were walking through the grass toward one of the buildings, a black cat walks up beside my friend and I, stares at us, and then continues walking on. Guess what? This church did not answer their door for us either. I want to mention, I don't believe in the black cat superstition and felt zero negative or evil energy from the cat. The cat was awesome, just looked at us before moving onward. All this still gives me goosebumps today, and it happened many years back. For a while now, I've been looking for more clarity, explanation, to better understand all of it. We sought it and found it, there aren't many answers. So, what, what do I think it means? I'm not sure. And most importantly, who was the entity we saw at the crossroads and what would have caused him to appear to us that night? No one else was around the entire time it happened. Not one car, not one person, nothing. Thank you for listening to Just a Terror with Nick Guerra. Make sure to check out True Scary Stories with Edie on Tuesdays. Give it five stars and stay scared uglies. <laughs>